TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. The Kia 1900 coming to Pike or online, Kia coming to Pike.com. If you want it, we got it and got it more. 650 acquisition fee, 30,000 miles, 20 cents excess mileage, Forte PE 659993, MSRP 22540, Nero P501 5237, MSRP 413390, EV6 P560 3393, MSRP 50,200, includes all rebates and incentives, must finance through Hyundai, excludes tax island license with approved credit, see deal for details, offer valid through 9523, dealer stock only, warranties limited, powertrain warranty, see Kia.com or retailer for details. The legend of Zaxby's hand-breaded chicken, the fire of roasted corn, the crunch of tortilla strips, the kick of Southwest Ranch. That's right, y'all. You better saddle up because the Southwest Salad is back for a limited time. And as always, it's not for the faint of flavor. So order the Southwest Salad in the Zaxby's Rewards app while it's still on the horizon. Woo, saucy! Zaxby's. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Now we on your block and it's like a ghost town. How about it? We finally made it. It is a Tiger football game week edition of Christian Fowler's appearance on the Gabe Coon Show. He is the senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast on the Bluff Pod, releases every Tuesday. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, go to YouTube, find the full-length video version. He is on Twitter, on X, at CFowlerBCM. Christian, how goes it, sir? Man, it goes wonderful because it feels like football, college football week one is this weekend, less than two weeks away from NFL kickoff. So, I, I mean... As one of the biggest football fans you'll ever meet, yeah, I'm ready. I'm uh, ready, and I'm excited. Uh, any any takeaways from Week Zero, though? Any USC takeaways? Any Notre Dame takeaways? Maybe some Vandy Hawaii takeaways? What'd you like from Week Zero? Yeah, quickly, uh, Caleb Williams looks incredible again, as we expected. Um, really, I know everybody points to the play to Taj Washington as like the wow moment, but to me, there was a, I think it was like a. a it's either a skinny post or a slant touchdown that he threw, and I, I can't even recall who he threw it to at the moment. It might have been Mario Williams. But the zip that he put on that ball was incredible. Like, the amount of arm strength and the amount of velocity that he puts on his ball is absurd. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about this on the pod last night. Their defense leaves a lot to be desired. Once again, <laughs> yes. shocker of the world. Lincoln Riley has a great offensive team with a bad defense. No one's heard that story before. Uh, Sam Hartman looked incredible in his Notre Dame debut, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in college football. Um, I'm never really on the Notre Dame bandwagon ever. Like, I don't ever get on Notre Dame's bandwagon. But with Sam Hartman, 
Um, and his experience and what he's looked like, I mean, he threw the same amount of touchdown passes that he did in completions in their first game, right. albeit against a bad Navy team. But you just see what that offense could be with Estime. And uh, they also had a freshman receiver catch a couple of touchdowns. So Notre Dame, it, you know, it, I know a lot of people say this every year. It could be the year for Notre Dame, but genuinely they, they now have a quarterback and, you know, they have not had a good quarterback in quite a while. You pointed Ian Book. I was a huge Ian Book fan. Uh, some people may say Jimmy Clausen. I wasn't a big Jimmy Clausen fan you, you dated it back to Brady Quinn. You went Brady I Quinn do. days. Yeah, I do date it back. I think that was like, two, what, 2003, 2004, Brady Quinn, maybe 05. Like, that's, to me, the last time they had an elite quarterback. So we'll see how it all pans out. I love Marcus Freeman. I think he's an incredible coach. Maybe that's why I haven't been on the bandwagon before because I wasn't a big Brian Kelly guy, but I'm a big believer in Marcus Freeman. Uh, And then Vanderbilt, probably not going to be very good this year, a team they beat (laughs) 63-10 to last year in the opener. They nearly, you know, lose to allowing them to come back. I think it was a 21-point game with like eight or nine minutes left in Hawaii, was able to string together a couple drives and had a golden opportunity at an onside kick that they just – you know, kind of, kind of whiffed on. Player was out of bounds as he recovered it, and then they get you know an opportunity to go down the field and tie the game, and they throw an interception on the second play. So yep. overall, you said it perfectly last night. Week zero is kind of kind of a taste, just a little appetizer to what's to come. But I mean, football was back, and I watched the entire second half of Hawaii Vanderbilt. <laughs> if that tells you anything. Yeah. Now, uh, Jaden Greathouse is that guy from uh, the the wide receiver from uh, there you go. From, from Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Unbelievable. He was he was really good. Uh, Zachariah Branch for USC is going to be unbelievable as well. He was the number one wide receiver recruit last year. True freshman. He has some juice. He has some real juice. Now, Caleb Williams, are you on Dan Orlovsky's boat? Are you uh, are you are you calling him the uh, perfect mix of Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes, or is that overstated? I'm going to say Dan should be on an island by himself on <laughs> yeah, that one. I don't I think, think so anyone too. should agree with that. But I do want to talk about Zachariah Branch for a second because, wow, he was incredible. I saw Daniel Jeremiah, I believe it was, tweet today, who's an NFL guy and former uh, NFL scout, said that he reminded him exactly of Tavon Austin at West Virginia, which, you know, for people our age that grew up when, when Tavon was playing, like that's about as high of praise as you can give a collegiate wide receiver. Absolutely. Tavon was absurd. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I mean that, 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 that uh, highlight video is still making the rounds. Man. Oh yes. That will never die. Like as long never. as, as long as our generation is still alive, that video will live on because when we were, you know, middle school, high school, like everybody watched that before games or during the week when they were getting ready to play their high school football games. Um, but yeah, Zachariah Branch was incredible. He had the uh, the kick return touchdown where he just looked like he was, you know, he had a different gear than everybody else. And then the, the you said they counted as a run, right? The the RPO. Yeah, the RPO out there to the edge. Yeah, same thing. Just has a different gear. He's shifty. He can move. I mean, there's a reason the guy was the number one overall receiver in the country coming out of high school. Sometimes they take a little bit longer to pan out, but clearly uh, he's he's kind of taken over in that receiving room, and it's not a receiving room without talent. I mean, they have Taj Washington, who Memphis fans know very well and has been productive at USC as well as he was as Memphis. Uh, Mario Williams, who's been a productive player. Brennan Rice, who was Jerry Rice's son, who's had – some productive games in his career. So it's not like there's a lack of talent in that receiver room. I think Zachariah Branch is just that good. And he's going to continue to distance himself from everyone else 
in that receiver room specifically throughout the year because he's just too good. I just feel no different about this USC team under Lincoln Riley. Like I don't feel any different about this Lincoln Riley team than I've felt about every other Lincoln Riley team. Great quarterback, great offense, and then Alex Grinch is running the defense and running them into the ground. Like just not doing anything. I mean, he's a little too aggressive consistently um, when he could just play base concepts with all of the talent they brought in this offseason. Now, I think that USC is going to the first six games, they should win every game by 20. It's after San Jose State it's Nevada, Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. But then you have Notre Dame at Notre Dame, Utah at Cal versus Washington at Oregon, UCLA to end the year. As much as I want to believe that this is the best opportunity from a talent perspective, like when you look at the defense, you look at what they have on offense, uh, I want to believe that this is the Lincoln-Riley-USC college football playoff team before they head to the Big Ten. They're going to lose one of those games. I mean, five of those last six, it's just brutal. I mean, that's murderer's yeah. row. Yeah, Washington, Oregon, Notre Dame, all very losable games. Um, we just talked about Sam Hartman, what he could do to that defensive San Jose State can score 28 on them. And, we're, I mean, we're not trying to completely overreact. It's week zero. Like, it's, we're not saying that there can't be improvements, but there is a track record for this. Like, we've seen this before. It didn't matter if it was – Baker Mayfield or Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray, Murray. Right. and it, it, it hasn't mattered. It, or Caleb Williams, you know, like at Oklahoma. So I mean, it, we've seen this same script so many times play out, where it's like this Lincoln Riley team has the offensive firepower to compete for a national championship, but there will be at least one game, more than likely, that the defense lets them down, and you know they look up and they have thirty-five plus points, but they've still lost because their defense can't stop anyone, and yep. it doesn't, like you said, with Alex Grinch. Continuing to be there and be their defensive coordinator, it doesn't make sense. And it's not like they didn't get talent at Oklahoma, and it's not like they don't have talent at USC. Like, they've recruited well everywhere. It just hasn't shown results on the field. And, I I mean, if that's any indication allowing San Jose State to score 28, then they could be in trouble again because, just like I mentioned, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Sam Hartman, those are very good quarterbacks that are going to give them trouble. Yeah, and then Utah later in the year when Cam Rising may be back healthy. Right. So, like, I and then Utah killed them last year, especially in the Pac-12 championship. It just wasn't even close. They just got right. outmaneuvered, out physical the out physical. entire time. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. They were Utah is a physical team, and they took it straight to USC offensively and defensively, and shut them down. Yeah, and I, and that's, I, an, I, that's another knock on the on the Lincoln Riley teams is that they're finesse teams and they're not yep, physical. Yeah, I, I do like. I hate to be this guy. But I do wonder, like with Alex Grinch, does he know where the proverbial bodies are buried with Lincoln Riley? The fact that he's kept a job this entire time when he has been lackluster, like he has not been good. Yeah, it's who knows? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can't you can't make it make sense because there's never been a silver lining of. Okay, you could say if it was like a year one or year two thing. Like, okay, they're waiting to get they're waiting to get guys in that can be difference makers. They had plenty of time to have elite level defenders and they did, but it just never, it never panned out for them. And the one constant, the one consistent has been Alex Grinch. So it, yeah, uh, who knows, who knows what he has on Lincoln Riley, but it feels like he's got something. Now Tigers versus Bethune Cookman this weekend. It'll be a uh, late, later kick. Um, I, I expect the starters to be out at halftime, but we did. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, 
even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Get it too deep. I I, I guess I'll, I'll just sort of put it this way. I think that this too deep is basically telling us there's still some position battles going on, even into week one. And it's fine because they're playing Bethune-Cookman. But what were your sort of big takeaways after seeing the uh, the, the two deep for uh, for Ryan? I'm not going to lie. I'm more – I don't know if I'm more skeptical, but I'm still skeptical of this offensive line. Um, specifically, and I, maybe I'm wrong for this – you know, causing me a little bit of, I don't even want to say panic, but a little bit of worry, concern, however you want to put it. Like Marcus Henderson, former four-star recruit, local guy from MUS, uh, went to Arkansas, wasn't able to carve out a role there. Comes back to Memphis, and he is not starting. And he is now a guard, and he's a backup guard. Uh, Xavier Hill, who came in, was competing last spring for the starting center position. Uh, at LSU, we knew he wasn't going to be a center here. Jacob Lykson held that position down, but we figured, you know, the natural transition is guard. He's listed as a, uh, a co-starter at right tackle with Terrence McClain. And so this is kind of – I don't know if we were concerned about this when it happened, but we said when those, kind of, when those level of players came in, like we want to see them starting football right. games. Like that's a good sign if they come in and they, they kind of show that they should be on the field and they should be starters. And, and neither one of them has distanced himself enough, uh, I guess. Like I said, Marcus Henderson is not listed as a co-starter. He's listed as a backup. And Xavier Hill is listed as a co-starter with Terrence McClain, who's someone that Silverfield's talked about a lot and been high on. But still, like it would ideally, they both would have came in, dominated their respective positions, and Xavier Hill would be your starting right guard, and uh, Marcus Henderson would be your starting right tackle. And I feel a lot better about that because – I like McKaylin Pounders at left tackle. I know he had some you know, some speed bumps last year, but I think with his athletic upside, with his just overall size upside, like I think McKaylin can develop into a very good left tackle. We'll see what this year holds. You know what you have, and Jacob likes. Uh, he's been a very consistent center for this team. Jonah Gamble coming back at left guard. He's had some ups and downs as well, so I, I'm not going to say my panic meter's at ten, but I am a little bit it, concerned. But this has always been the most skeptical. This yeah. like, of all yeah. the questions we have about this team, I've been the most skeptical about the the old line getting fixed. Like I, I think that's where most people have been this entire offseason. Yeah, yeah, I would completely completely agree, and I, I guess we. You know, we can say what we want to say right now. We won't find out this weekend if they're that good, more than likely. Uh, I think back to Ryan Silverfield's first year. I think what Memphis run for like 200-plus yards in the first four games, and they started conference play, and they averaged like 75 rushing right. yards per game or something like that. Yep. Um, so playing playing against Bethune-Cookman and uh, Arkansas State and maybe even Navy with how bad they looked, I don't know how much of a tell that's going to be for where this offensive line stands. But I, I think – I think on the on the positive side of that, it gives them a chance to get things set in stone because I think a lot of position battles around college football, we know this, go into the regular season. It just happens if you're bringing in transfers or younger players. Like position battles go into the season, and that's fine because you're typically playing easier opponents at the beginning of the year. Yep. Those first three games, they should waltz through uh, relatively easily. 
Uh, I mean, some people may say, hold up, you know, we still have to play Navy. Uh, Navy is not a good football team. If you don't play well against Navy, if you don't beat Navy pretty handily, then maybe we should start pressing the panic button there. But we'll find out, uh, you know, Missouri and Boise State and Tulane, we'll find out if this team can run the ball and if this offensive line has improved, and that's going to dictate the season. Uh, clean sweep on the defensive side with linebackers. Uh, Sincere Evans sort of knew that was going to happen. Jeffrey Cantonarku, um, he's been here for a while. Redshirt senior Chandler Martin coming in from East Tennessee State saw that coming. Jalen Allen at Buck, um, sort of an edge rusher. We we saw that coming. He's the most productive. He was the most productive guy on the on the defensive side of the ball last year. One thing that I'm curious about is the front. Cormonte Hamilton w- with William Whitlow listed as a or uh, with. Uh, Again, with William Whitlow. And then at nose tackle, Jara Anderson, a true freshman listed as a starter alongside Kiviante Spears, who's from Louisiana Tech, 6'2", 260 at nose tackle. That was one thing that jumped out at me. That's not – when you're talking about a nose who's going to be either head up on the on the center or in a shade of some sort if you're running a four-down front, 6'2", 260 does not give me a whole lot of hope that he's going to be a space eater. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was that one caught me by surprise, too. We talked about this last night uh, before we started recording. It was kind of the first thing that we talked about, and that's where the conversation started. Is Jara Anderson starting at nose tackle, a true freshman, a little bit undersized? A little bit weird. Uh, Comante Hamilton, I'm not as worried about that. There, we both believe there will be, you know, six to ten deep somewhere in between there on right. the defensive line with rotation. So, Cormonte, William Whitlow, both those guys are going to play plenty of ball this year. So I'm not worried about Cormonte not getting snaps or not being impressive in fall camp or anything like that. But more so what sticks out to me, uh, you bring in, and we talked about this a ton over the offseason, Josh Ellison, uh, Darius Jones, Derek Hunter, they're beefing up the front. You know, they're bringing in guys if they want to play, you know, a three-down front with a nose and a, a strong side defensive end, or if they want to play a four-down front uh, with a one-tech and a three-tech, like they have the bodies to do that now, they have the size to do that now. And uh, you're starting nose guard is, is 260. Yep. When you've got Derek Hunter, who is listed at 265, but I don't think anybody believes he's 265. I right. think he's bigger than that. Uh, Darius Jones, uh, a little bit more slim for an interior defensive lineman, but it's like 6'2", 260 starting at your nose is, uh, it's pretty strange. Uh, it definitely definitely caught me about the I mean, the hope there is a true freshman he just balled in fall camp, and there, there's no way they yeah. can keep him out of this conversation, right? That's the only – that's what you're hoping. Yeah, because you don't see many freshmen listed on opening day depth charts, you know, for week Especially one. Especially along the O-line and D-line. Like, that is that is so uncommon. Usually right. you have to beef up and, and sort of uh, get into the weight room, get some more weight added, and it feels like that, that hasn't quite happened yet for Jara. Yeah, I mean, offensive and defensive line, you're pretty much notching up a redshirt year as soon as you get on campus in most situations just because, like you said, the size and just getting used to the physicality and the speed. Like, offensive and defensive linemen do not come in in college football and play week one their freshman year. So you would have to think that he showed them something (laughs) to be listed as a starting nose tackle. I mean, we'll get to see. Uh, Like I said, I don't don't think this game's going to tell us much because it's an inferior opponent, but we'll see what he looks like on the field. And if he's making plays, then, you know, maybe they're on to something. One one of the uh, sort of bright spots there, though, Jara Anderson was one of their highest-rated recruits in this past recruiting cycle. So that, I mean, out of high school. So that that is, it gives you a little bit of hope of what he can be and the fact that he's showing something clearly already in fall camp. Um, Secondary, I have to ask you off top. I knew we were, we we're going to see something like this. 
Um, they've been hinting at it. Ryan's been hinting at it for a while. But Greg Rubin, who started his first two years, he's a true junior now, started his first two years at corner. Freshman year was great. Uh, his second year, maybe a little bit of a step back. But he's been moved to safety, starting safety. I, I, I'm curious about this move. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious too. <laughs> I'm curious to see how it, how it pans out. Uh, I know I've known Greg since he was in high school. We did some stuff with him when he was in high school. Um, he's a super aggressive player, and I think part that part of that goes into him moving to safety. I mean, we know he was very effective when he was in receivers play in receivers faces playing press man coverage. Yep. Obviously, he's not going to be playing press man coverage. At, you know, as a deep safety. But just the aggressiveness that he has, you know, he's not scared to come up and hit and tackle and stuff. So we'll see what that transition is like. That's not a transition you see very often, uh, corner to safety, unless it's a bigger player that was playing at the collegiate level and gets moved to safety or something like that. But, you know, five, I think he's listed at 5'11", 190, moving from corner to safety. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, didn't uh, it's weird? It's weird, you know. It's weird to see, like you said, it's been being hinted at, but to see it actually on the roster. Okay, Greg Rubin is a starter at safety next to Simeon Blair. We'll see how it pans out. They also have Joel Williams back there as well, who I think a lot of people are excited to see. He had an interception in the bowl game against Utah State. So if that pans out, if that makes sense, I mean, obviously, if he's playing over a guy like Joel playing next to Simeon, who has been one of the talks of, you know, of camp, of fall camp, of preseason camp, spring camp, um, then, then maybe he's maybe he is going to be an impressive player back there. We'll just, once again, have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and Simeon is going to be the strong safety, and he's going right. to do a lot in run support like he did at Arkansas. Um, Greg Likely and Cam Smith, who are listed as the oars at free, they're going to still have to come up and, and help and run support. That's this, this day and age of uh, when you spread it out. Um, those guys have to come up and run support. That's my one concern about Greg. Can he hold up consistently coming up and supporting the run? Because I, I, I don't think he's the, the largest human being in the world. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's, he's definitely not the biggest. But like I said, he is aggressive. He's not scared to go put his nose in it, which you kind of have to be at any at any safety position. You have to be – able to come up and tackle and, you know, not be worried about hitting somebody. Yep. <laughs> and uh, just knowing him and knowing his personality, I know he's not. I know he's not worried about being physical. So I, I think I definitely think he could transition well. This is not a move where I'm completely out on and think, you know, right. he absolutely has to be playing boundary corner. Uh, he's not the fastest corner in the world. So that it, it, it makes sense. Like he, a lot of times speed at corner is masked by moving the safety. So, it makes sense, and we'll see how it pans out. I, I, but I, I do think he has the potential to be good at safety. I think there's some depth, though, in the secondary. And like you look at both corner positions as slashes. Diego Brumfield and Malik Feaster listed as slashes at one corner. Uh, DJ Bell or Diedrich Bell and Julian Barnett listed as the slashes at the other corner. Uh, I feel like there's some depth there that they haven't had in quite a while. Yeah, I agree. And I think this says the same thing that we talked about with the offensive line. I don't think every starter is – is known right now. I think there are still right. battles that will go into the season. Um, we see this at programs around the country and rotating corners in the NFL. Like if you're strictly an NFL fan, like rotating corners sounds absurd to you. But a lot of college teams do rotate corners, especially early in the year. And once again, if you're bringing in talented freshmen or transfers, and you know that's what that's what these guys are. Diego Brumfield from Campbellsville, Malik Feaster from Florida State and Jacksonville State, respectively. Like 
these are guys that are coming in and clearly they're competing. Uh, Dredrick Bell is a redshirt freshman and he's clearly made an impact. Uh, wasn't a super highly rated guy coming out of high school, but is now listed as a he's a co starter, right? He's an or, yeah, or is he by himself? Yeah, he's an or. He's, he's an or. or, yeah. So listed as a co starter at the other corner. I mean, it just shows that he had to do something impressive to work his way up the depth chart. So, yes, I absolutely think that they do have depth at the corner position. And I think they'll rotate those guys a lot, especially during the first two games. And when they do go into those bigger games against tougher opponents, they they need to know, and they clearly know this, that they need to know uh, which guys they can rely on and which guys they can count on. And I think that's a lot of what this two weeks and co-starters and oars and all that stuff goes into. And we'll get to see it play out uh, against Bethune-Cookman and Arkansas State as to where they stand in the secondary. Talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler, BCM, a Bluff City Media senior writer and content creator. Um, Last or to talk about, and I think a pretty important or, and obviously the O-line is going to tell the story about how the, how productive these guys are going to be, but no no starting running back, no listed starting running back. It is Blake Watson or Sutton Smith or Jay Ducker, and I imagine those other two guys and Brandon Thomas and Bull Hargrove may get some touches as well. Who do you expect to truly break through? in that running back room? I know it's going to be by committee, but who 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 can you who do you feel confident hanging your hat on? I, it's tough for me to pick one of those guys but because I think both Blake Watson and Sutton Smith are going to have very impressive years. And we've seen Memphis rotate running backs and have success with it in the past. I don't have to even bring up names to remind Memphis fans of how that worked out for this team at, at you know at a certain point a few years ago. But I, I think Jay will play as well. I think Jay is kind of your short yardage, maybe goal line back, and that's obviously a very valuable role. But as far as just explosiveness, uh, Sutton Smith and Blake Watson are both your best backs between the 20s. I think they're going to be very close to each other. I think they're going to complement each other very well. I think Blake Watson probably has the edge as a true runner, and I think Sutton Smith has an edge as a receiver. So I think it'll be interesting to see – how they get creative and use these guys on the field potentially at the same time. Um, if they're able to use Sutton Smith more as a receiver in the slot or as an H-back or whatever it is, just to get him on the field and be able to use his versatility and his receiving ability um, at the same time as having Blake Watson on the field and kind of putting defenses in a predict- predicament on which guy's going to get the ball. Is it going to be a run? Is it going to be a pass? And mixing those things up. So I like the running back room. I think both you and I do. But we know where it depends on and what it lies on. And if they're able to get solid blocking up front, I think they've got capable players that can have impressive seasons. Now on to Tiger basketball. Malcolm Dandridge is the news uh, since last time we talked. Um, He is now uh, out of the transfer portal, and he is going to be a Tiger next season. I know there's a lot of people, like you talk about his production in his time in a Tiger uniform. It hadn't been the greatest. We know there's been some injuries. He can only play in spurts. And he doesn't necessarily show up every single game. Um, but but how helpful do you think this is for this team going into next year? I think it makes Jordan Brown even more effective. And some people may think that that's a weird answer, but when you have the best center in the conference and one of the best centers in college basketball was the best mid-major player last year, um, having someone that can complement him well and take him off the floor in situations where he you know he needs a minute and needs to be off the floor so he can be fresh, at the end of close games is absolutely valuable because what we always talk about in rotation is you don't want to lose what you had with your starters, if that makes sense. And I'm not saying that Malcolm Dandridge is 
nearly effective offensively as Jordan Brown is, but I think he offers the same upside as far as blocking shots and getting rebounds and playing sound defense, and he can score around the glass if he needs to. So I, I think you don't take as big of a bump as some people may think with Jordan Brown off the floor and Malcolm Dandridge on the floor because you can kind of subsidize that offense for Jordan Brown with some of the other talent that you have on this team. And I don't think you lose too much defensively when you bring Malcolm on the floor if he's playing eight to 15 minutes per game, somewhere in that range. So I love Malcolm being back. I love this team being able to have two centers, two true centers, and to not rely solely on Jordan Brown or a small ball lineup to make them effective in the front court because you do have a true center that you can put in the game when you take Jordan Brown out. Um, the quote-unquote recruiting process for Malcolm this time around was strange, wasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> it, it threw me off. He was trying to keep everybody off of the – off of the, uh, not let anybody sort of follow. I mean, he wasn't leaving a whole lot of crumbs out there. But it, it always felt like it, this was sort of the landing spot as the, as the calendar wore on. SLU had filled up their roster spots – uh, Western Kentucky didn't seem like they were fully involved. There was a Gonzaga rumor for a while, but it always felt like Malcolm was going to end up in a Tiger uniform. Yeah, I mean, especially at the beginning, it kind of felt like, okay, he's putting feelers out, but eventually he'll be back. Maybe somewhere around the middle after he had been in for a while, it was like, okay, you know, maybe he's legitimately not coming back. And then, as you mentioned, towards the end of it, knowing teams were pretty much full and practice was about to begin, it was like, okay, the, the writing's kind of on the wall. Uh, he pretty much has to come back to Memphis if he doesn't want to drop too far down as far as levels go. So overall, I think this is kind of the end result that we all expected. And in my opinion, I think it makes him a better team. I know people have had their thoughts and opinions on Malcolm. As I think a lot of it stems from you know the NCAA tournament last year and the way that it went down. Um, but that just is what it is, you know. I mean, you can't you can't totally say that that's that's it. That's who Malcolm is as a player because of that one moment. Because we've seen him have very effective stretches. We've seen him have ineffective stretches. But there have been times, especially when he's healthy, even the beginning of last year uh, before the injury against Alabama, he was playing probably the best basketball of his career. Uh, so I'm not out on Malcolm Dandridge. I know some people are, but I, I think he helps this team. Now uh, we're waiting on DeAndre Williams now. That's sort of the, the – the, we're playing a waiting game. Now John Martin, um, who obviously is with Jason and John earlier in the day, uh, he, he has said it – put it this way. Um, if they want to reach their ceiling, you know, DeAndre Williams, they should reach their ceiling if DeAndre Williams is in a Tiger uniform. They could reach their ceiling if he is not. Do you sort of view it the same way? Yeah, I think John makes a great point there, absolutely, because they still have the potential to be a very good team without DeAndre Williams. I mean, we know what they've brought in. They're talented everywhere. But DeAndre just takes it to another level. He hires your floor, and I don't think they have a very low floor this year at all, but he raises that floor up. and he, I mean, he also raises the ceiling. He's that good of a yep. player one of the best overall players in the conference. We made arguments at points last year where he was the best player in the conference, um, which was difficult when you're playing with Kendrick Davis on your team. Uh, but DeAndre is that good. He can do everything he's shown throughout his career at Memphis that he can take on pretty much any role. Uh, he can play small ball five. He can play the four. He can be a lead scorer. He can take a back seat, uh, as he did with Jalen Duran and um, Amani Bates on the team. Like, DeAndre will do whatever it takes to win, and having a guy like that, you you know, it absolutely raises everything for this team. And they should, like like John said, yes, if they have DeAndre, they should reach that ceiling. But 
if they don't have him, there's a little bit more guessing involved on, on where it could end up. Now, last thing for you, Christian. He is uh, Christian Fowler at C Fowler BCM on X. You a Cowboy guy? Are you now a Trey Lance guy? Are you a Trey Lance fan now that the Cowboys have traded a fourth-round pick to go bring him in uh, into that quarterback room? Yeah, I mean, low risk, high reward. Uh, I'm higher on Dak than most people are. Uh, I think if you really know the game and you really watch the game, you probably think Dak is better than the casual fan does. That's just my opinion. It's uh, all, like but, said, it, but with Dak, isn't it all about playoffs and his playoff yeah, success? That, that's what it comes down to. At this point, at this point, yes. Like he's proven that he could. He's a, an elite level quarterback, a top ten level quarterback. Two years ago, he threw th- thirty seven touchdowns. Uh, I mean, he's shown everything that can be shown for the most part during the regular season. It is. You're right. It's about playoffs. It's about winning games in the playoffs. It's about getting past the divisional round. Uh, a lot of people say Super Bowl, but I think most people would be happy if the Cowboys just made it to a conference championship game, which they haven't done in, what, like 27 yeah. years, 27, 28 years, yes. something like that. Not in your uh, lifetime. So, yeah. No, definitely not in my lifetime. Um, so, yes, that is that is the biggest thing. But overall, Trey Lance edition, yeah, it, it, it is what it is. You see what you got. Um, if you see that development with him, then maybe at that point, they could think about moving on, potentially trading Dak. I know the the story that came out was that it doesn't halter anything as far as contract talks are concerned. But I mean, you kind of let that play out and see how it rolls. I mean, if if Cowboys don't make the playoffs this year, if they get first round bounced or something like that, and it's just same old, same old, rinse and repeat, then I think you could see a new head coach and a new quarterback, uh, depending on how Trey Lance plays. So. It's a big season for Dak because now he's got a talented guy behind him, unproven, but very talented, clearly third overall pick in the draft, a draft that included Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones, as well as the first-round quarterbacks. So he has the talent. Um, but, yeah, it puts pressure on Dak, and we'll see how, how the team plays this year with, with knowing that that's a possibility. This furthers my uh, narrative of this is the Cowboys telling Dak or asking Dak, can you do it or can you not? I mean, so we'll yeah. see. We'll absolutely see. Balls in his court, man. You have Brandon Cooks. You have a, a really good receiving core. We have C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup. Uh, defense should be top five. Balls in his court, man. Let's see. Yep. Let's don't see. It. Really pre- it's a pressurized season for him. I, like, I, it is. I look around the NFL. I don't see any other quarterbacks who have as much pressure as Dak Prescott to get it done, especially in an open, a, a seemingly wide open NFC. Maybe Aaron Rodgers. Hey, maybe, maybe, but year one with the Jets, you know, it's New York. It's a lot. I get that. I mean, and I don't, I don't think he's going to roll over and stink though. And his whole line's not near as good. You know, there's just, there's, there's a lot of things where with, with Dak and the AFC is just loaded, right? Like the NFC, it's, it's Eagles, 49ers, Cowboys. Those are the teams. And Dak has to show that they can get over top of a team like the Eagles of the 49ers, which they have not been able to do. So no, we'll see. You're correct. We'll see. But Christian, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next week. All right, brother. See you all next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Episode 42 of On the Bluff is out now. Make sure you check it out. Full-length video version is on YouTube. Go to Bluff City Media and subscribe to that YouTube channel or uh, Apple, Spotify is where you can find the full-length audio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. 
and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 